chapter 1, and in just a second or two, we're going to begin reading in verse 17. It's a pleasure to see you here this morning, by the way. Verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's hear the word of the Lord. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, and we could say sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow, please, and let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you this morning that our lives are not left to chance so that as we look to the future as a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ alone, we may look with an ever-growing sense of trusting you and that you will accomplish your purposes and complete your tasks, oftentimes and the most unlikely of people in the eyes of the world. And speaking of the world, Father, we pray for the nations of Liberia, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, and Ghana. We pray that your mercy would abound there and that you would have mercy on the world, God, in light of the difficulty of Ebola. We know that that's not the only disease and we understand we live in a fallen world, but these are the things before us now. And so we pray for the grace to be Christian and to think Christian in light of all these things unfolding in a fallen world. And now we ask you to help us study your word, the Bible. Please, God, give us clarity in everything. And as we bow to your truth, may your truth and nothing but your truth frame our living and our thinking, which is always best. But oftentimes, Father, we admit it's very difficult. However, this morning, as always, you are the decisive one in everything. And you are certainly the decisive one here. And you are our king and our father and our friend. 
And so we would ask you that grant us a heart to, to love you more truly as we ought and believe you as your word is preached through the scriptures. So as always, please have mercy on us now. For Jesus' sake, amen. In 1951, uh, James Denny, the theologian writing on the spiritual condition of the Church of England, at that time wrote as follows, the cross has less than its proper place in preaching and theology. That was 63 years ago in England where the majority of citizens, somewhere over 58%, would be found in public worship on a Sunday morning um, in England. Now it's just under 18%, according to the BBC, uh, as they say, who 18% of the citizenry there attend public worship. Hmm. John Stott, from his book, The Cross of Christ, to preach the cross is to preach salvation by God's grace alone. Such a message is a stumbling block, and then he, he refers to 1 Corinthians 1.23, because it is grievously offensive to human pride. It therefore expo- exposes us to persecution. To preach salvation by good works is to flatter people and so avoid opposition. To preach salvation by grace is to offend people and so invite opposition. This may seem to some to pose the alternative too starkly, but I do not think so. All Christian preachers have to face this issue. Either we preach that human beings are rebels against God under his just judgment and if left to themselves lost and that Christ crucified who bore their sin and curse is the only available Savior. Or we, and listen please closely to this, or we emphasize human potential and human ability with Christ brought in only to boost them and with no necessity for the cross exhibit except to exhibit God's love and so inspire us to greater endeavor. The former is the way to be faithful, the latter the way to be popular. It is not possible to be faithful and popular simultaneously. It's the line in Stott's quote, with Christ and his cross brought in only to boost them is the line that bothers me the most. In other words, we we may very well ask Jesus for his help to give us the kind of life which has the consequence of no longer really needing him in our life. That's called paganism, and it's been around since the beginning. Because since the beginning, humanity has in her an unquenchable thirst for power. This was Adam and Eve's first sin. They were offered power. You will be like God, Genesis 3.5. They were offered power in exchange for their disobedience. It's okay, take and eat. Nothing bad will happen, Genesis 3.4. Power, the right and might to say and do what we choose in spite of our fellow man and in spite of the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in spite of the fact that everything was created by Him and everything was created by for him. And the Bible is replete with warnings about the uses and abuses of power. Here are two of my favorites. 2 Chronicles 25, 15, and 16. Uzziah was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah was powerful, pride led to his downfall. In King David's springtime fling power play, 
we learn that it may take 30 years to create a powerful reputation, but it only takes 30 minutes to destroy it. And certainly this will be true in every age, but it still must be said, we live in a time that worships and craves power. Now, we may demonstrate this in different ways, and we may present this in different venues, and certainly we may demonstrate this at different levels. And of course, we may demonstrate this in different ages and stages of our life. But the end game is always the same. Ultimate power, control, rule, authority, status. In other words, it's the same old sin to be like God. And the world and in the context which Paul writes into is a world in context that considers power of virtue and weakness a vice. So then it should come to us as no real surprise that Paul, understanding this sin, uses the word power, a dunamis in the Greek. It's, as most of you know, it's the word where we get our word dynamite from. Nevertheless, Paul uses this word frequently in these opening chapters of 1 Corinthians. He knows his readers. He understands the times. But more importantly, he understands why he was sent. That's verse 17. Christ sent me to preach the gospel. Because that's where God's power lies. So you will notice if your Bible is open, verse 17b, Paul says, we must preach in a certain way, lest the cross be emptied of its power. Verse 18, he refers to those being saved by the power of God. Verse 24, to whom God has called. Christ is the power of God. Verse 26, the word power is not used, but as you read through that, the implications are pretty straightforward. When God called you, most of you were not powerful. In fact, you were very, very weak. And when we get to chapter 2, which all spared and Lord willing we will do next time in verses 4 and 5, he refers to the Spirit's power and God's power, both tied, you will notice, to and only to the gospel. And at the heart of this, and we dare not miss this as we work through this text on this Lord's Day, at the heart of this, the overarching principle Paul is laying down to the church in these opening chapters is this. It is only in seeming weakness that God's power is to be found. Okay, that's the contrast Paul is laying down. Seeming weakness is where God's power is to be found. And those of us who are committed and driven to set our life up in such a way that we will never know weakness should pay very, very close attention to this. Remember, disunity was the church's issue in Corinth. It revealed itself by taking their eyes off Jesus and putting their eyes on mere men. Who do they like best? Who fits them the best? Who has the most powerful presentations? Who has the most uh, wonderful presentations and the spectacles? And give me some of that. But they, nor we, were called into a club. But we are called into a kingdom. And the kingdom has a king. And the king's way is power through weakness. And remember in Corinth at this time, business was great, their economy was booming, prosperity was surging, and basic human nature should tell us typically when prosperity abounds, the propensity to know and feel our daily need of God diminishes. 
So please don't confuse this with a line of thinking that says, okay, I get it. If, you, if, you, if you're saying that I can have the kind of power that I need and always dream of, so all I have to go do is, is to go down this weakness line of living for a bit of time, Therefore, I will go down this weakness line of living for a bit of time. Then presto, on some great day, power comes to me and off I go and I will go way past all my contemporaries. No, I'm not saying that because God is not saying that. The power is a crucified life found only in a crucified Savior. The power is measuring all of reality, not in the wisdom of the world, which is coming to nothing but in the wisdom of God demonstrated in his crucified son. Subsequently, the power of God, and this is our first question. You'll notice on the back of your worship folder, there's three questions, and there's a little place for you to write in your answer. Question number one, you can see there, where is the power? Well, the power of God, verse 18, is in the message of the cross. The message of the cross. Therefore, now just be mindful of this. At the very moment Christ was nailed to the cross... God's power was immediately manifested in a way that had never play, taken place in the, in the world. And so you might not immediately think about this, but you need to. The Romans and the colonies under her dominion were familiar with crucifixions. It was brutal, it was normal, and it was routine. But when Jesus died, Matthew 27 records for us, among all the other things that happened, the earth shook, rocks split, Resurrections began to happen as tombs were broke open and the bodies of holy people were raised to life and appeared to many. Well, what's that? Well, that's power. Why? Well, that happened because Jesus died and the implications of his death had begun to unfold in this world. Just put yourself there for a minute. Can you imagine if, if you lived in that day and two, two years, we'll say, from that day, you, you, you buried your Uncle Larry, okay? And now, because of the death of Jesus Christ, your dead Uncle Larry is now, you're alive Uncle Larry, and he's walking the streets, and people are going, what in the world is going on? I mean, you were like there, and now you're here, and Uncle Larry's like, I know, I was there, and now, now I'm here. God's power. And on the day Christ died, death died. And so as death died, Christ manifested his power at the cross. And so Paul says, we can't go beyond this. We can't better it. uh, And we certainly shouldn't diminish it. Because if we do, then we diminish the very source of God's power. And the church of Jesus Christ, I mean, those of you who know any, just a speck of history, and just pay attention to, to, to current culture, The church of Jesus Christ throughout history and now has gone down so many lines searching for her power. So they have gone down political lines. We need friends in high places. They've gone through ecumenical lines. Okay, unity, but we don't want the cross of Jesus Christ. We can be together, but not Christ. Intellectual, theatrical. You know, let's just show the world that we are really something. Psychological, so we don't need a cross, we need a couch. Social and the spectacular. But you see, divine reality says that the wisdom of God, the the power of God is in the bloodied, wheezing, spluttering, dying Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. That's it. Therefore, it is in that seeming weak display that the power of God lies. 
That's why in the Bible, you will see the phrase more often, the message of the cross, and not the message of the resurrection. In fact, I don't think you'll see that phrase in the whole of the New Testament. The resurrection is certainly part of the message of the cross, but the emphasis in the Bible is on what? On death, on the cross. Even in the Gospels, the lion's share of the story is on the death of Jesus Christ and not the resurrection. I mean, go home and check to make sure I'm telling you the truth, but you'll find that as you get to the end of the Gospels, you get about that much death and you get about that much resurrection. Therefore, Christ's death is the most powerful moment in all of human history. They're still, still singing about it in heaven. So that's the answer to our first question. Where is God's power? Answer, God's power is through the perceived weakness of the cross. Question number two then. Then where is the power of God active? Right? If, if the power is in the cross, well, where is it active? And the answer to that comes to us in verses 21 and verses 17. The power of God is active above all in the preaching of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel verse 17 in a certain kind of way so the message preached cannot be if you would dipped into chocolate that's worldly wisdom that's verse 17 in other words you know what you need Jesus because your kids are a wreck and your marriage is a wreck and your business is a wreck and your health is a wreck and your finances are a wreck and you need Jesus because he can fix those things for you and here are three clever stories and three clever phrases to set you on your way Paul would say, no, don't do that. One, because that's not the gospel. It might be a byproduct of receiving the gospel, but not always. Sometimes Jesus is so subversive that he splits up whole families. And two, because if you preach with chocolate sauce, i.e. worldly wisdom, the people will be attracted to your wisdom and your finesse. Therefore, verse 17, the cross be emptied of its power. No, the gospel must be preached not with words of human wisdom, but it must be preached to set the minds of the listener's gaze on Jesus Christ alone. Okay, remember we said what paganism was. Are you ready? Okay, you think you need X and you don't have X and you'll go to God, a God, and get X. And if God doesn't give you X, then you're not good with God. But if he gives you X, then it's all good. That's paganism. The only way one will walk away uh, disgruntled in the preaching of the cross, if it's preached clearly, is if they reject it. However, when the gospels preach, it says it pretty plain that we're sinners. We're rightly under God's wrath and curse. And and our rebellion, in our rebellion, there's a punishment that's waiting, but Christ has suffered in our place. He has taken that punishment. It can be diverted, a new life given. Jesus is king, and the king gives what is needed, and the king gives what's best. Sometimes that includes suffering. So repent and believe the good news. And as the message of the cross is proclaimed, then the power of God is released. That's verse 21. Do you see it there? God sets it up that way. In the wisdom of God, right, the world through its wisdom, okay, so the best and the brightest cannot know him. There's no intellectual road to God, right? That's verse 21. We're sensing the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom, do not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save There's no intellectual roads to God. There's no way a man on his own, on a mountain with a candle, can know God's full revelation in Christ. It cannot happen. 
Verse 20, the wise man, the scholar, uh, the philosopher, high minds from the high streets can't get to God on their best day, on their own. Therefore, what does God do? Since God desires people to be saved, what does God do? Verse 21b, God was pleased that through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believed. This foolishness, a 30-something-year-old man hanging naked on a cross is the Savior of the world. Get that. Through the foolishness of what is preached, God is pleased to save. Incidentally, and in passing, that is the key difference between Catholicism and Protestantism. Roman Catholicism says Christ is present in the Mass. That's why it's very important to take the Mass. But Protestantism says Christ is present in the message. That's why it's very important to preach the message. And this is not a difference in style, but it's a difference in theology. And it's that difference that Paul's conclusions drive us to. So, so it shouldn't be any surprise that then in the, in the New Testament, the main emphasis is to keep telling us how the word of God spread. The word of God increased in power. The word of God spread rapidly. You, you don't play the numbers games in the New Testament. You get about two times where you get exact numbers about the church. And it's a church in a particular place. So in the Bible, the emphasis was not so much on church growth, but the word of God itself, the message of the cross, and how it was growing in influence and how it was saving people. Well, why did that happen? Well, in part because the apostles stayed on the line of what they ought to preach. They knew their message was not a political message. They knew that they did not come to to set the Roman authorities on their heels. They did not come to try and, quote, get people elected to the Senate. But they had come to preach the gospel. And they didn't come to make the gospel a quality of life issue, to make it comfortable for everybody because jeepers, creepers, people were going to be thrown to the lions and burned at the stake for believing this message. Consequently, they came for no other reason but to preach the message of the cross. That's why the apostles came. And as they proclaimed the message, God's power was unleashed. And as the word of God spread, the kingdom of God grew. And let me just say this. That will always happen. That will always happen. As the word of God spreads, as the cross is preached, the kingdom of God will grow. So again, if you were to ask, where is the power of God found? Verses 17 and 18. The power is to be found in the gospel, in in the perceived weak message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we ask where the power of God is active, Well, the power of God is active in the preaching and in the proclamation of that message. That's why verse 21 is so important. No one can get to God if the word is not preached. Therefore, if the power of God is concealed in the message of the cross, then what is concealed is revealed and is active as that message is proclaimed. So it's like this. You have the word of God from the mouth of the servant of God, and that becomes the power of God in a culture. Again, please, right? The word of God from the mouth of the servant of God becomes the power of God in a culture. And that's why the apostles' preaching of the cross is primary and it is crucial. And he explains that in verses 17, verses 21, verse 23. And every sermon, if you would, every sermon then must be stained with the blood of Christ 
on it. Or God's power is not active in it. Because the power of God is in the message of the cross. So you've heard these sermons. Three points. Point number one, read your Bible more. Point number two, pray harder. Point number three, serve, worship better, and don't go too rich. You've, all, you've heard those sermons. Listen, should we read our Bible? Oh boy, should we read our Bible. Should we pray? Oh boy, should we pray. Should we worship better? Absolutely. I don't want to have anything to say about the rich stuff. But you see, none of that stuff is tainted with the cross. You could preach that in a Mormon church. And that's why it's essential. And that's why Paul is driving home the point. The power of God is in the message of the cross. Your talks have to have some blood in them. And not just any blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our third and final question. Question number three. Why is preaching primary? Well, because you're a preacher and you're saying it's primary. No. (laughs) Listen. So you say to yourself, you put yourself in that context and you're like, you know what? Preaching was okay in Paul's day. Because after all, that's all they had. You know, there was no cable television. Uh, there was no World Wide Web. Uh, there, were, there were no passion plays. And people back then had a much longer attention span. So let's, you know, they would say, let's go to the church hall and see what Paul's saying because there ain't nothing much going on in our town. So, so people think that they, that age was kind of predisposed to those kinds of things. But not so, not so, not so. Well, how do you know? Well, look at your Bibles. And what you'll see is that the culture of Paul's day was calling for anything but preaching. They were calling for verse 22a, miraculous signs. In fact, they were demanding it. And the Greek word there is is just laden with threats. They wanted miraculous signs. They wanted a spectacular. That's what, what the Jews wanted it. Verse 22b, the Greeks were calling for wisdom, a pragmatic way to understand the world and make, make the world uh, work better the way they needed it to. So give me some business stuff and give me some you know, family techniques and give me some marriage techniques and stuff. Give me that. So just think through this. Every business person or worker here this morning understands the power of demand. They, they know on some level how important supply-side economics is. And so you know if there is a demand for your product... And you can serve it up in a timely manner, at a good price, with a degree of quality. You can probably make yourself some money coupled with a large and growing customer base. So you can see that the demands of the culture that Paul goes into is such that if he's only going to respond to the religious market forces, he would not have preached the message of the cross. If he, if he was looking for market force realities to give the people what they wanted, he could have simply given them a miracle show. He was an apostle, right? He was an apostle. He could have gunned the miracle show, you know, so line them up, bring them out, and, and we're just going to have a miraculous extravaganza for your pleasure. And the people would go, oh, wow, look at that. And oh, can you believe it? Signs, wonders, miracles. And Paul would say, well, your demand is my desire. We have two shows. We have a 9 o'clock show. We have a 10.30 show. And there's free coffee and donuts in between the shows. And guess what? We never take an offering. So come on down and let's see the show. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. This is Paul. The things that mark an apostle. Signs, wonders, miracles were done among you, but with great 
perseverance. The Greek word used there is behind, as in behind the scenes. Why, Paul? Why did you do your miracles behind the scenes? Because we did not want that to get in front of the message of the preaching of Christ and Him crucified because Paul knew that is why where the real power was. Okay, but what about the people from the high street? Well, if you want to contemplate about your navel and speculate about infinity... Greeks search for wisdom. Paul could have gone down that road very easily. He was well trained. He spoke three languages. And he was a, he was a cosmopolitan man. I mean, he was, he was quoting pagan poets in Acts 17. So this is what Paul does. He goes into that context, being sent by Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and says, the very thing you thought you needed, I will not give you. But the very thing you didn't want, namely the preaching of the cross, I am going to give you. So ask yourself the question, why does he do that? I mean, is he he just looking for trouble? (laughs) Right? Is he just looking for trouble? Or or is that all he can do? Well, no, he could have done the miracles. And he could have had set at the table with the best and the brightest and had a wonderful discussion. Well, why does he do that? Well, the short answer is because that's why he was sent. That's why he was sent. And the power of God is in the preaching and proclamation of the gospel because the power of God on display is not a sideshow. It's not a variety show. It's not a philosophy. And it's not a motivational, spectacular uh, event. One may get a very short jolt from those things, but what they will not get is lasting power. Paul would say, run to the cross. Run to the cross. So the temptation comes to, well, it seems to me, and it seems to me to every Christian generation, they say, if we're going to have any sensible impact on a culture and win the day for a future generation's life and mind and heart, well, we're going to have to fight on the world's agenda. So the only way that we're going to get it done is to lead with the political or we're going to have to be psychological or we're going to have to do the phenomenal or that we're going to have to be intellectual and, and social. Just tell everybody how terrifically smart we are and how, how wonderfully nice we are and that'll get it done. But then you're going to have to read some history and, and a church that has no proper sense of church history is, is, is lacking. Because when you read history, this is what you're going to know that, that, that every genuine revival started with the preaching of the cross. Let me just give you one example. Uh, 18th century America came as a result of what? The revival there, the, the Great Awakening. Well, how did it come? Preaching. Well, they must have some wonderful venues and some spectacular places where the guy could preach. No. You had men on farmers' fields standing on a wooden box preaching Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that set that world afire. Hmm. And then just read the book of Acts. The Bible tells us plainly, the word of God spread. The cross was preached, the word of God spread. So let's say it's true that preaching is in the shadows in our culture. And let's say that people are not crying out for it. This is what I say to that. I say, let it remain in the shadows. If all preaching is going to be is a person expounding their own minds or a person going political or psychological or technique-driven or telling us how we need to take back our culture but only under their line of reasoning. 
or if the preacher has never wept over the text. He's never cried out to God for help to understand it and explain it. And the preacher has never felt the inadequacy so strongly that he knew that if he was ever going to get one word on the manuscript other than his name, it would have to be an act of God. If these things be true of preaching, then God be pleased to shut the whole thing down, shut it down. Because that's not gospel preaching. That's not biblical preaching. But if a man with no thirst for applause, if a man does what Paul says here, namely, seeing God manifest his power as the scripture is expounded, and when you expound the scripture, you will always lead with the cross. And when that man preaches in a way that is unique and needed in all its venues, in a way that is foolishness to the self-confident, data-driven age that thirsts for the spectacular then what you will see is God will be pleased to send down his power and God will be pleased to say some only as Christ is preached. Preaching is primary. I preach not because it's the best way to communicate, but because preaching is God's ordained way to communicate the gospel. Because the very means itself of preaching points to the weakness of it all. Do you understand that? The very mechanism itself points to the weakness of it all. And if something's going to happen, it's going to have to be God. Verse 21. And so the answer to reaching the culture dead in its sin is the preaching of the cross. Well, that's foolishness. Yes, it is. And that is how God is pleased to save. So I had a friend who a while back was serving in, in Russia just for a time. And the Christian community there, at the time he was there, was very hungry for the word of God preached. He preached his sermon, and then he stopped, and then they said, no, no, keep going. One hour and 30 minutes of preaching there. You see, so much of what we have here is a product of our luxury. There it was life and death. Keep it coming. Here it is life and more life, so make it stop. So here's what Paul is declaring. This is zips up his old argument. God has a preference for the weak, the lowly, verses 26 and 27. Do you see it there? Because God works mostly not, not from the top down, but he works from the bottom up. That's how God's way, that's his, most of his way. Number two, God nullifies, verse 28. He invalidates human wisdom and human influence and human status and human superiority. They mean nothing in relation to the cross so that we don't need a religious superstar to come and save the day. We need Christ preached. Verse 29, your Bibles. So that the whole world will not boast before God. Now I want you to listen carefully. The word for boasting is a visual word in the Greek language. It means high head. In other words, no high head before God because Christianity works best when heads are bowed, not when heads are held high. Heads bowed to God and not raised to God, boasting before him. And in a culture that is driven for a thirst for power, God reveals that in Christ, weakness, and in the message of the cross, and in a cross-formed life, that is where ultimate power lies. Because only the cross of Jesus Christ can bring people together and keep people together for all of eternity because the cross dismantles every approach to God through human merit endeavor or power because at the cross 
Humanity sees what they are and what they're not, and it sees who God is and what God is not. And when we see what God is, the most sensible thing we can do is not to boast, but to bow. Bow in a poverty of spirit, knowing that God gave us the very best when he gave us the cross. And if that is all that God ever gave us, if that's it, then guess what? That's all we'll ever need. And so Paul lays it down pretty plainly there in verse 30. Listen, this weak message, what did this weak message do? Question, who took the initiative to reach us? Verse 30, well, God did. What was the result of God's initiative? We were saved. And the result of our salvation, do you see it there, verses 29, 30? The result, Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our holiness. And Christ is our redemption. And loved ones, that is God's wisdom so that no one may boast before Him. Because we like to boast. Don't forget that. We like to boast. We like to say nice things about Jesus when give ourselves a few little plugs. No boasting. Jesus paid it all. All to Him you owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but Jesus and Jesus alone washed it white as snow. Therefore, as these things be true, can we not see why the preaching of the cross is primary? For what will humble men and women, setting them in their proper place, and what will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, seeing him at his highest place? Well, guess what? It's through that foolishness. The foolishness of what was preached. That God is pleased to save those who believe. And as you believe, you begin to discover that God was behind it all. Thank you for your attention. Let's bow together and pray. Well, Father, we know that intellectual pride is always the last citadel to be surrendered to the grace of God in Jesus. And we know that we must carry the preaching of the cross where men and women do not desire it. That's always been the case when Christianity has been done right. Human philosophy begins with man and his need or his ability or his rationale. And we can never handle spiritual matters with, with just worldly thinking. And so we thank you for this pattern that you've given us. Though it would be foolishness in the eyes of the world. It's the way that you turn the world upside down. It's the way that you'll keep turning the world upside down. May those in the know in Christian circles remember this. Remember that we have vast amounts of resources and we have vast amounts of ingenuity, but we have so little conversions. May they scratch their head and wonder why. Look to you, look to the Bible, and determine what's best. Now may the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of us now in Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen.